And now, a very spooky Halloween edition of Geek Top 5. Boo! <laughs> I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we're not actually doing anything spooky. No, I just no. wanted to mention that it was Halloween. But hey, there are five cool things we want to talk to you about. Let's start with number five. Uh, Jared Leto. Leto? Leto? Leto. 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 He's not Duke Leto Atreides. Jared Leto has released that, you know, he's still lurking for work. Um, that's not fair. He was in Blade Runner. Yeah, and I think that's where this came up. Maybe. He's released that he is in talks with folks about working on the next Tron movie. It's been in the news a lot lately because the guy who directed the last one and who's been attached to the third movie for a while, uh, his name is Joseph Kaczynski. So he's working on a new movie. Jeff Bridges is in that movie. It's about firefighters in California. And so it's being in the air. Right. Well, I mean, if you already have both of them there, like all you need is like spend an hour in front of the green screen, then you can make a Tron movie out of the footage. <laughs> so, I mean, let's just go into some background. Tell us about the first Tron. Yeah, Tron, 1982. Um, the first movie to use computers for art. It was crazy. Where Jeff, young Jeff Bridges gets sucked into a computer and you know, he lives an adventure. Like, what's it like on the inside of the computer? And like, you know, all the all the people in there are programs and stuff. Uh, it's a science fiction classic. It's a little slow now. Days. Uh, worth watching if you haven't watched it. Then, uh, then 2010 was Tron Legacy, where Disney tapped into its well and said, hey, here's an opportunity to make another movie. It, no, you know what? Critically, Tron Legacy didn't do so well. I think it's like a 49 on Metacritic or something. I liked it. I mean, very visually attractive, carrying on that tradition of having really cool computer graphics. I, I thought it was a pretty good movie. I really liked the relationship between Jeff Bridges and the guy who played his son. Garrett um, uh, Hegland? Maybe. <clears throat> Anyway, it was, it was at a time before Disney had Star Wars and Marvel and its stable, so it was an attempt to get boys into the theaters, because Disney has traditionally had a bit of a hard time getting the boy audience. Yeah, and, I mean, this, and they did with this movie, and you know they branched it out, it had a little cartoon, it had video games, toys, the works. It made, it made money, but not as much money as they were hoping for, Yeah. so any talk of a sequel got kind of scuttled. Which is especially a shame, because as a weird sort of mostly sequel... Just you know, way after the original, this one was clearly set up to have a next installment, and it never happened. I kind of hate when they do that. When they set up a movie in the hopes that there will be a sequel, with and and but there's no guarantee. You know, just make a good solid. Well, yeah, a, a, a good movie. movie can do both. It can stand yeah. on its own and be part of a broader thing. Right. This wasn't that great a movie. Anyway, I mean, I love Tron, so I'm a little biased. But the point is, it didn't seem like it was going to be happening. And now we're talking about maybe it is happening, and maybe Jared Leto is involved. Now, some people have a mixed reaction to that, because either you like the guy or you don't. You know, when a lot of people talk about Suicide Squad, a lot of the complaints for Jared Leto's Joker, both in terms of the character, like the way he portrayed it, and his behavior on the set, which has a bit of a weird reputation. That's true, but I feel like if that was a better movie and, and they had handled his character better, I don't think people would be as, an, as annoyed. You know, people let Marlon Brando get away with a lot of bad behavior because he was a fantastic actor and he was in hit after hit after hit. Once he started being in bad movies, it, people started well, to complain about his behavior yeah, a bit Well, more. maybe there's an argument that no matter how good a movie you're in, you should behave like a normal person anyway. I don't know, just throwing that out there. It's worked for me for 30 years. Well, you're not a millionaire actor with uh, amazing talents uh, to your name. Right. Amazing talents. That's what we're talking about here. Uh, I mean, the biggest roles in my memory for him right now are the Joker and Suicide Squad and the meaningless bad guy in the new Blade Runner. He was um, he was the blonde guy in Fight Club. He was the drug addict in Requiem for a Dream. He was right. He was good in Requiem. He was right. so good in Requiem, and he was good in Fight Club, even though it was a smaller role. He was a transgender character in uh, with AIDS in that. Uh, Matthew McConaughey Obviously movie. a really memorable uh, role. It was, it was. He was nominated for stuff. I'd never saw Listen, He's it. an Oscar award-winning actor. Yeah. I mean, here are we criticizing him. Yeah. yeah, he won. Yeah, here we are criticizing him. We got no Oscars. Uh, <laughs> you know, the point is, he's kind of controversial, and especially in the geek crowd, the people right. who like comic book movies and sci-fi movies. I mean, it's still pretty close to the release of the new Blade Runner, so we're not going to spoil too much. But, but can you say, I, like, I haven't had a chance to see it yet, but you've seen it, right? How was his performance? I, I don't want to spoil it. How, how can you <laughs> spoil it? I don't understand. Uh, I didn't think it was very good. 
The movie or him? Him. All, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I know my his portrayal and his character have been debated along similar lines. Um, no, actually, I kind of like the new Blade Runner, but that's not what we're talking about. Um, so they're talking about doing this Tron movie, and it's interesting because I guess there's still some confusion on whether or not it's exactly the part three or a reboot. The story is that the third chapter of this Tron thing was going to be Tron Ascension, but the studio shelved it. And there's talks that the, there's a new film being built out of the source code, because ah, it's a computer <laughs> movie, uh, of the deleted Tron 3 script, with Leto playing a character named Ares, who apparently had a big role in that movie that never got made. Yeah, apparently he there was talk of him even being in Legacy in some, uh, in some of the, the layers of discussion about it. At one point, he was going to be in that. So it's uh, it's interesting that... You know, they're bringing him back and maybe parts of this other movie. Uh, it can't be that far along because when people ask Jeff Bridges about it, he thought it should be the first VR movie, which would be interesting. <laughs> but, yeah. But that, to me, says he doesn't know a ton about it. And if Jeff Bridges doesn't know about it, then it's probably not that far along. Yeah, it, it sounds like what's happening is Jared Leto wants to be in a Tron movie. Or at least he wants to be in a movie and Tron is available. Ah, oh, you're besmirching yeah, I, his honor. I am. I, I am besmirching Jared Leto's honor. Leto, I Leto, Leto. I can't even. I, I'm besmirching his name. That I apologize. I just don't know how it's pronounced. I think he's a genuine fan because because he's been in it. He's been talking about it for for ages. You know, if he he wanted to be in the sequel, he wanted to be in this. He's not hurting for offers. No, that's true. I mean. People keep wanting to put them in stuff, uh, you know. Yeah. As it is, anything that makes a new Tron movie, I'm on board. I'm a big Tron right. guy. I mean, just the soundtrack for Tron Legacy. Well, that was gorgeous. Daft Punk was right? involved. Daft Punk, yeah. It's, um, keep your eyes out. If you like Jared Leto, even better. If you like Tron, sounds good. Um, but, you know, it's still too early to say. Number four on the list. Some kind of breaking news, at least as far as when we're recording this. In terms of when we're recording this, yep. Finally got some casting news for the Shazam movie. The not the Captain Marvel movie. Because Shazam, and who was Captain Marvel, but isn't now, because Captain Marvel is someone else who has her own movie, but he has his own movie now, and he is Shazam. But he might be Captain Marvel in the movie. Really? But in the comics, he's sometimes Shazam. It's complicated. And well, it's all legalese. That's the, the biggest <laughs> problem of it. Uh, and also, just to be clear, it's not a movie about the app that tells you what the song is that you're listening to. Oh, I, I was confused about who you would cast to play that role. <laughs> no, okay. Shazam, uh, Billy Batson, yeah. uh, whose superpower is that he's a little boy, but when he says Shazam, he gets hit by lightning and turns into a Superman clone. I love this character. I know, this is one of your... like. If he was a talking ape, it would be your favorite <laughs> thing in the world. I know. And his best friend is a talking tiger, so it's really close. That's very close. Yeah, talky-tawny. Uh, but that's part of the reason I love it. Uh, in its, its purest form, it is a, a distillation of a little boy's dream of being a superhero. And it's just... It's in comic book form. I love it. And in the, the old versions of it, it's so bizarre and not in a forced way like it is in some later versions, but in just this whimsical, charming way. And I hope this movie has some of that. It probably won't. <laughs> you don't know that. I don't, but... It is DC, right? It's DC. Yeah. So they're going to make it dark and gritty? <laughs> well, the director is best known for horror movies. Uh. He did Lights Out and the new Annabelle movie, which is about the ventriloquist dummy that was in some other horror movies. I don't want to get into it. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, what else do we got? We know who's playing him, right? Yeah, so the, the that's the big news. Zachary Levy, who was Chuck on Chuck... And he was the voice of Flynn Rider in the Disney Tangled movie. Chuck was the one where it's like he was a secret agent who worked at a not Best Buy? Uh, yeah, well, he was a Best Buy, a not Best Buy worker who had uh, a computer thing about being a secret agent accidentally downloaded into his head. Yeah. Oh, and he was with the actress who plays Miranda Lawson. Yes, from Mass Effect. Yeah. To be clear. But People on this show know Mass Effect by now. You, they'd better. Sure. Anyway, okay, so yes, I know that guy. Yeah. He's kind of funny. Yeah, he plays uh, Fandral uh, from the Warriors 3 uh, in the Thor movies. Not in the first one, but in the second and third ones. But uh, he's an interesting choice. He's not your traditional leading man, and I would have expected, if they were going to do the movie based on, you know, what's in my head, I would pick a guy like John Cena, who is like sort of... I know um, it doesn't seem... Please, hear me out. All right. He's he's a, 
John Cena is like a little kid's version of what the perfect adult might be. He's like this muscly man who's also kind of funny, and he's got this, he's just, and I think he can play dumb, or at least a naive little kid, really well. But he's not going to be playing the kid. They're going to hire a kid to play the kid. Right, but the idea is that it's a little kid's mind in a big man's body. Ah, okay. See, right. that's where I'm going. And, and, and I mean, I'm sure Zachary Levy is in fine shape, but he's got more of like a geek vibe to him, and that's why he was perfect as Chuck. Although he did a fine job as Fandral and he's a fine uh, Flynn Rider. I'm willing to give him better benefit of the doubt. He's he's almost assuredly a much better actor than John Cena. So he's got that going for well, him. That, yeah, okay. It's, I mean, some of us, you know, here in this room <laughs> might be a better actor than hey, John Cena. John but... Cena's had some good stuff. Okay, alright. Uh, Fair enough. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm dumping on all these actors yeah, today. come yeah. on. Jeez. <laughs> come on, Jesse. Uh, another one for you to potentially dump on. Uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson was the, the first person announced as being involved in this before there was anyone else attached. Right, he was going to be the bad guy, right? Yeah, Black Adam. And uh, the thing is that he, when they first announced his involvement, he didn't say if he was going to be Captain Marvel or Black Adam, and there was a lot of back and forth. Now, he looks a bit more like the traditional... Black Adam portrayal, but I think he also would have made a good uh, Shazam, because again, he's got the wrestler physique, he's got what I would have chosen for like a little kid's ideal of a superhero. Right, yeah, okay, The Rock yeah, it does that pretty, like that's exactly the character he's playing in Numanji. Right, the, right. Yeah. Okay. Do we have any idea what this movie is going to... I mean, I guess clearly they're setting Black Adam up to be the villain. Yeah. But do we have any idea, like, what the movie is going to be about? Do we know if it's... like, Is it going to be an origin story? Or is he going to be part of the Justice League thing? I... I, I, so far, there's very few details about it. It's coming out in 2019, so there's... Well, we got some time. We got some time. I My understanding is... Well, from the comics, Black Adam is, like, the the original sort of failed Captain Marvel He's like he's from space Egypt or something. Some he's there's his what he says. He also says Shazam, but those letters spell out Egyptian god. So there's a whole Egypt vibe to him yeah. as opposed to Condor, Captain Marvel. Candor. No, that's Superman's Kryptonian city. Okay. Darn. <laughs> All right, and I'm trying. The I'm... bottle city of Candor. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. All right. I don't think this will be in the main DC universe. I think it would... I don't know. It just seems weird. You'd basically have two Supermen uh, because... Yeah, Captain everybody Marvel in is DC. Essentially... Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. But Captain Marvel is uh, essentially... Arguably a knockoff of Superman. He came shortly after Superman... But and at times was selling better than Superman, and uh, DC kept suing to get rid of him. But the courts uh, said he was different enough that they, it wouldn't happen. So he's not necessarily a clone. But I'm just saying this for my benefit. Right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. We'll see it in twenty in 2019. Um, it's it, it, it sounds like it has to be funny. So we'll see about that. With those two guys, yeah. How could it not so. be? Yeah. yeah. Let's keep rolling. Uh, number three. Uh, so, you know, who are you going to call? Somebody call Dan Aykroyd, um, which is <laughs> nice. stop calling Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> <laughs> just, it's nice that somebody is keeping him company because um, he, he was weird in, you know, in his prime, much less <laughs> in his old age. Um, this comes out of, I guess, the, the previews we're seeing for stra- the new Stranger Things, yeah. where all the kids are dressed up in the Ghostbuster outfits. For and be- because the 80s! Yeah. Yay! Um, I, I, again, I'm sounding sarcastic, but I loved it. We all, like, Ghostbusters yeah. is rad. Uh, somebody called Dan Aykroyd and said, hey, there are people on a Netflix show wearing Ghostbusters outfits. How do you feel about the Ghostbusters being on Netflix? I just, my understanding is that they had to actually call him to clear it, that there would... Uh, so that they would be allowed to wear the outfits. So oh, I would hope like, so. So so he was uh, probably invited to the premiere as like, oh, thank you for letting us wear these outfits, these brown jumpsuits uh, with patches on them. And you think he just kind of said and said, you know, while I'm here. Well, <laughs> potentially. Uh, uh, the, what we're dancing around, Dan Aykroyd has pitched the idea that he would love to see a Ghostbuster series on Netflix, and the idea he pitched was the original four Ghostbusters, but who they were in high school. Which has to be one of the the worst possible ways to explore those four characters to me. Because they're like middle-aged men when they start being Ghostbusters, and it's like a wild idea that they have, you know? It's not something that's born of their long storied life of hunting ghosts from high school. And all of your characters who are adults, who you like... How often do you think, boy, I wonder what he was like in high school. Gee, do you think he did well in English? Yeah. Like, 
Ah. It would be, you know, freaks and geeks without the freaks. It would be... Yeah, just geeks. Just geeks. Um, now, to be fair, Dan Aykroyd is not new to having wild and crazy ideas. Um, not always resolving around television. He's a bit of a conspiracy theorist, too. Um, this, and let's be, let's be straight up here. This is just Dan Aykroyd talking. I yeah. don't think anybody's jumping on this. But, man, why this bothers me so much is because, yeah, I hate that high school idea. But I really would like to see more of those four Ghostbusters. I get it. Like, you can't do those same actors anymore. I'm going to say something but... controversial. I'm not a huge Ghostbusters fan. I, I don't mind the movies. I, I enjoy watching them. But I don't quite understand the, the thrall that it has on a certain segment of the population. That being said, I feel like we've been teased with Ghostbusters stuff new Ghostbusters stuff since we were in high school. We did a radio show back then, and I remember having news about a Ghostbusters 3 back then. And I don't want to date us, but that was not recently. No, no. that uh, It was still the 1990s. So, maybe shortly after. Point being that there hasn't been... Well, I mean, there hasn't been new Ghostbusters stuff for a while, with the one exception of the new Ghostbusters movie, um, which, I mean, I still think of maybe unfairly as the Bridesmaids Ghostbuster movie. Which was super controversial for reasons that we've gone into in earlier episodes. And regardless of what you think of it, it didn't do the franchise any favors. No, it's, yeah. It was not, you know, I was excited for it. I liked the cast. I I was as excited for it as I would be for any Ghostbusters movie. Which is to say, sort of excited, yeah. And it was was pretty disappointing. Mm -hmm. But I think part of that is because if you're going to use that intellectual property... Those four weirdos are an integral part of it. But more than that, it's really the performances of the the, the original cast. Like, you True. can't replace Bill Murray. You can't replace Dan Aykroyd, as weird and wonderful as he is. You can't replace Harold Ramis. You could probably replace Winston, but you shouldn't. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he, he, gets a, he gets a better shake in the second one yeah. than the first one. So, but if you're going to do it, I think... I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it would be interesting if they did a sort of Ghost of the Week show and have it take place either between the first and second movie or after the second movie and just have it be them on cases. This is exactly what I'm saying. Like, I want to see Ghostbusters Supernatural, essentially. Right. Maybe the first couple of seasons before it got into all the really serialized stuff. Just like and in today's episode, the Ghostbusters have to deal with a, like, fill-in-the-mad-lib ghost. Right. And hijinks ensue because they're weirdos. Yeah, and don't go for, if you're going to do a TV show, don't go for superstars. Get some weird up-and-coming comedians, give them a shot, and let them let them bring their own spin to the characters. That doesn't seem to be what's happening. Uh, now, be, again, I don't think anything's happening. Nothing is happening. <laughs> Although, of all of the projects that they've announced and, and have since disappeared, like at one point there was talk of a Channing Tatum Ghostbusters movie. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, but that apparently has been destroyed or dissolved. But apparently there is an Ivan Reitman-produced animated version that's still happening. Interesting. Yeah, so we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah. Yeah. Number two on the list, uh, leaving the world of rampant speculation for some solidified news. Yeah. Logan. Um, might actually win some awards. Great movie. I wouldn't count on it, but it might get in there. It'll be in the talk for nominations, at least. Yeah, I'm sure it's, they're shopping it around. Yeah, well, they're, they are definitely shopping it around. Yeah. Uh, but the, the standout was the introduction of X-23. I mean, not the introduction. We've known about this character before. We've also talked about that in previous episodes of Geek Top 5. But Daphne Keene, the kid who played her, like, her performance was unsettling like it was great yeah <laughs> but but no she was like the performance was phenomenal unsettling character they want to give her her own movie well at least the character there's no confirmation no confirmation of daphne keen that's true uh but james mangold who directed uh logan as well as the wolverine which was the uh the previous one with him in japan he is working on a script for a well, I, I don't think they ever call her X-23 in Logan, but... No, they just call her Laura. Yeah, so um, a Laura movie, which... we you know. at the, Ooh, because I know they call the one that comes after her is called X-24, but do they actually use the words X-23 for her? I'm not sure. I don't think so. Uh, anyway, so I, I have some... I, I, I'm interested in this, but I have questions, I have concerns. I have several. Um, some of it's circling back to what you said, that, like... I mean, for one thing, can you make a movie revolving around a kid? Maybe you don't. 
And that might actually suit more of the character's source material well, because a lot of what we see from X-23, like in the show and in the comic books, is she's in that sort of that weird comic book gray space between like late teenager, early 20s. Yeah, I mean, she um, started out in in her earliest appearances being like 13, 14, and these days she's, she's like late teens, early yeah. 20s. And the way they used their character, I mean, let, let, listen, I'm dancing around this. She's in like skin tight, almost nothing, a lot. Like, yes, but uh, they, they have she, not gone in for full costumes for many of these X-Men characters. Oh, yeah, she doesn't stand out, but I'm saying that the character who she, of who she is in the comic books, like, they really reinvented that a bit for the movie. Like, mm-hmm. it, it could still sort of fit into canon if you want to do some of that Marvel mental gymnastics, but, like, who X-23... Like, she, well, she's much sexier in the comics, and they play her that way, and it's a little over the top in that comic book kind of way that still needs to be worked on a bit. And my concern is that's where it's going to go. They're going to make another, like, sexy girl assassin movie, and it's going to be completely generic. Because that's what a lot of her storylines kind of are. Um, yeah, but I feel like what what worked with her, what made her appealing, is the fact that she was a little girl who was insanely violent and and, in the movie. and stuff. In the movie. Yeah. And... I'm sure that's what they would want to latch on to for a sequel. But, you know, she doesn't speak for half of Logan. And, you know, little kid actor, maybe there's a good reason why she didn't speak much. Well, there's a period in the, in the books where she's mute for a while, or near mute for a while, too. Right. Like, so that is a character affectation that they brought over. Yeah, but there was, like, anyway, there was. I felt like there wasn't a very good reason in the movie why she was quiet and then why she suddenly started talking. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. So so I find a lot of the times when they do these movies with, with little girls who are obscenely violent and, and whatnot, they are, are fun to watch and it's like always shocking and interesting because they're secondary characters. And there's other stuff going on when it happens. You're like, oh, that's really cool. I'm thinking of uh, Hit Girl from Kick-Ass as another example. Right, okay. Would you be interested in a movie that is just that? In X-23's case, kind of, um, because essentially what I'm interested in is, you know, the, the traditional Marvel character who has some, like, personality damage that has to be overtaken, matched with, you know, some Wolverine snickety-snicked. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty easy to satisfy that way. <laughs> so, she can bring that to the table. I guess so. I and- just... Don't I? My other thing is I don't really see where else you go with that character as it ends in in uh, Logan. I mean, well, I think the next thing is how she grows up, like without that father figure in her life. And so, it, it, again, it depends where they cast her. Yeah. If they're going to age her up and make her sexy, that it's going to be like her first failed attempt at romance. And isn't it hilarious because she's also a brutal killer, right? Um, so like that's what I'm worried about. But they could also do, like, how does she adjust to sort of trying to become a good person? Right. Or maybe even, you know, an X-Man. If they want to keep it in the Logan continuity, they've you know, introduced this new group of people who can clearly, you know, end up in a school somewhere to learn to use their powers for good. Like, it's going to turn into a new X-Men first class thing, just with an R rating. And set in a... Set in some... Canada! <laughs> and sometime in the future... They're all going to be playing mutant hockey... <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're selling me. You're right? selling me on it. It's getting it. better I'm and better the... as we go. <laughs> I'm riding in on a moose. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I am skeptical. I don't know if we need this, but, you know, and feel like Fox has to capitalize on the successes they've had with the characters they have from Marvel. And that was a successful movie, and she was a successful part of it. So, I guess it was inevitable that they would try to spin her off. In the meantime, there are at least three X-Men related movies coming out next year. Oof. So we're going to have a lot of X-Men fodder to, to work on before we see any more of X-23. Uh, we've got Deadpool 2, X-Men Phoenix, and New Mutants all coming out next year. So the, the mutant docket is full for a while. Yeah. But hopefully when some of that winds down, they'll find some room. Maybe even bring this girl back. I thought she was great. I'm, sure. I'm willing to see and, more. And, we'll have know, to see. It'll be like... At least three years later, she'll be three years older, so that'll work into your aging up of the character a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. We just have to see, like, I'm just hoping they don't turn her into Tomb Raider. Yeah. Yeah. Number one on the list, continuing our superhero soon to come. <laughs> it's been a, we've been looking into a crystal ball this whole episode. Uh, Deathstroke. 
Fill me in on this. My impression of Deathstroke is Deathstroke is the serious character that Deadpool is a parody of. Well, that is a sort of a difficult question. Because when Deadpool first appeared, he was played kind of straight. So right. Now, he evolved into a more comic character. Yeah. So Deadpool, his costume is sort of like a black and red version of Deathstroke's blue and orange costume. Deadpool is Wade Wilson. Deathstroke is Slade Wilson. They're both mercenaries who have a penchant for swords. Yeah, here's the Marvel versus DC conflict, like, distilled to yeah. its barest, most obvious. Yeah. Uh, and, and Deathstroke was created, I think, 15 to 20 years before Deadpool. So it's it's complicated. I'm I, stepping on some toes, is what you're I saying? I guess so. I don't know. All right. Well, the reason we're talking about him, um, you've seen him. You've seen him probably most recently in Arrow. Yeah. Where um, actually two different characters have played, like, the character Deathstroke, but they got Slade Wilson in for the second one. Deathstroke is now getting his own deal because, I mean, God forbid we don't make a superhero movie. Yeah. Now... <laughs> The the most interesting part of this, like normally, if this was news, I'd be I'd sort of roll my eyes and be like, ugh, a Deathstroke movie, why bother? They've already got all the grim and gritty they need in the DC extended universe. Uh, but they have Welsh director Gareth Edwards in talks to come on board as the director of this. He is best known as the director of the Raid movies. Yes, the Raid Redemption and the Raid Two, both of which are some of the most phenomenal. Just action movies that have been made in the last little while. That was... Uh, Martial two, arts movies at that. Like 2011 just, and 2014. Yeah. Um, Indonesian. Yeah. I, I just... That's that's the reason I brought up that he's Welsh. Because it seems so weird that you have this amazing Indonesian action movie set in Indonesia, starring Indonesians, and yet the writer-director is Welsh. And it's globalization, I man. Guess it's, so. it's you know, fascinating. We're, we're getting closer and closer to that one world government and then the Federation... <laughs> Starships, replicators, it's going to be great. Um, no, those are both really good movies. They're like yes. very, like, it's one of those movies where every single person is a martial artist or a sharpshooter or a knife fighter. And it's visceral action. Oh, yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, don't show the kids. <laughs> um, but that kind of just hardcore violence kind of suits Deathstroke. It seems like it's a good match. Yeah. And Deathstroke had his own title for uh, 60 issues in the, the 90s. I wasn't really aware of that. I'd only really known him as a Teen Titans villain. But the fact that he had his own ongoing series for 60 issues, that's not nothing. I, there are a lot of characters who yeah. haven't had 60-issue ongoing series that you know a lot better than Deathstroke. So there is material to mine there. The other interesting thing is that um, when Ben Affleck was uh, still on board as the writer-director of his Batman movie, there was test footage that was released that showed uh, Joe Manganiello in a Deathstroke outfit. And the scuttlebutt from that was that he was going to be the villain of that Batman movie. Now, there's a new guy on board. Matt Reeves is directing that Batman movie now instead of Ben Affleck. The script was all thrown out, so we don't know if Deathstroke's going to be involved in that or not. But it occurs to me that, you know, if they promised Joe Manganiello that he would be Deathstroke in a movie, and then Matt Reeves is like, I don't want Deathstroke in this movie, maybe this is a way of honoring that deal with him. Maybe that's how <laughs> this got a, born. Just a throwaway action movie? Yeah. Just to satisfy this poor guy? Maybe. Except that you throw Gareth Edwards in there and it's no longer a throwaway. Right, In maybe. my mind, anyway. Maybe, yeah. I mean, we were talking just last week that just because you make a superhero movie, it doesn't necessarily have to be one genre. Yeah. It can be a horror superhero movie or a comedy superhero movie. I guess, in a way, all superhero movies are action movies, but... You know, there's movies where there's a little bit of action, and then there's the Raid Redemption. Yeah. Where it's just, there is the minimal amount of setup, and then just gunfights and <laughs> knife fights and karate and all kinds of, for, it feels like, years of brutal violence. And it'll be interesting to see what uh, he can do with a, a character that fits that wheelhouse, and also he's going to have the DC budget to back him up. Yeah, so it could be, it, this one sounds to me like something that, of all the things we've talked about today, is the most likely to see the light of day. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's the one uh, out of all of them. I, I feel like I am well, the second most excited about. Well, Shazam yes, you're excited pretty, about Shazam, pretty. But this is like the most. I feel like it could be its own unique project. It could be something interesting. 
I don't. I mean, Deathstroke. Oh, he's a mercenary, and he's genetically enhanced. Who cares? They do that thing where it's like, well, he uses more percentage of his brain than the rest of us, right. which is one of the urban myths I hate the most in yeah. the world. Like, what I'm getting at, I don't care about Deathstroke, but a really cool DC superhero action drama not even drama just straight action movie that could be fun and I think, i'd be interested in seeing what they do with that i think he could also uh fit into the dc movie universe better than a character like shazam because you have shazam he's got super strength he's super speed he's, he's a big bright character that would stand out and it would be weird if he wasn't acknowledged in the other movies whereas deathstroke is a mercenary and an assassin he can fit in that world and you could have references to stuff around him without him needing to impact something that happens in the justice league movie yeah in an alternate timeline where they made a suicide squad movie that was good deathstroke would fit like that's perfect yeah. that would have been cool to see so fingers crossed for that one that's our list for this week uh, lots, of, lots of supposition and things in the future. Stay tuned for our next segment. We're doing one of our Geek Top 5 deep dives uh, on stuff that actually has already come out. <laughs> Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back for the second half of Geek Top 5 with our patented Geek Deep Dive. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about a TV show that has aired seven episodes so far, and we're going to get into uh, our thoughts on it, because it hits pretty close to our sweet spot. Important note, I've only seen the first six. That's totally fine. The seventh I one? forgive you. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, what we're talking about, um, we've, we talked pretty intently about Star Trek Discovery, mm-hmm. um, and we didn't want to leave out the other Star Trek show. The, if anything, more traditional Star Trek show. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Seth MacFarlane's The Orville. So, some background. Seth MacFarlane is uh, the creator of Family Guy and American Dad and The Cleveland Show and all these things that are, are cartoons and are, are quite beloved. He has his his passions that uh, get sucked into that world from time to time. Star Wars, he's a big fan of, and he's done those whole... Episodes that are just like hour-long Star Wars. I mean, I want you want to say parody, but that's the wrong word they're because he he loves the material yeah. so much, and they're so close to the source material. But his other big passion is Star Trek and and the modern Star Trek as well, Star Trek: The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and those shows. He had an entire episode of Family Guy where he had the whole original cast of The Next Generation appear as themselves. So he's a big fan. He even had a recurring role on Star Trek Enterprise. So uh, so he is, has so much clout with Fox that he was able to get basically his own Star Trek series and everything but name. Yeah. Now let's be fair here. He disguised it in the pitch. At least in the marketing, but I have to assume the pitch as well. I tell, do you know what the pitch was? I don't know. I don't know what the pitch was, okay. but I know what was pitched to me through the marketing. And what came to me through the marketing was Galaxy Quest, the TV show, where it was going to be a TV show that poked fun at all the weird things about Star Trek. Okay. What we got was a faithful, like fan fiction love letter to Star Trek, with some awkwardly timed Seth MacFarlane humor in it. Okay, so this is what I, where I wanted to start with our initial thoughts. So, yeah. so you thought it would be far more comedy. I mean, do you remember that first like trailer yeah, we saw? Yeah, yeah. There's a, definitely in the trailer, there's a lot more attempts at, at yucks and whatnot. But I always found, uh, in that trailer, I remember we discussed it, and I didn't find it funny enough. Like, a lot of the jokes fell flat. Right, but that's just a bad comedy show. <laughs> we didn't know that th- that was what this weird tone that the show is looking for. Well, and you want to talk first impressions? That's my first impression, is that this show has a very strange tone. All, to me, the show is almost like most of the characters are Star Trek characters, and then three characters, three specific ones, are people who love Star Trek trying their best to be Star Trek characters. Right. And, and that's weird. I, I am finding, uh, and we'll get into each episode, I want to talk about each one, we'll get our individual thoughts on it right. as we go, but my my thought as, so far, as we've been watching it, is that it is at its best when it when it is less funny, when it's trying, yes. trying to be Star Trek and not trying to be Family Guy. Absolutely, and the parts of the show that I love are the parts of what's missing for me when I watch Star Trek Discovery, 
a real Star Trek show, which to me has nothing to do with Star Trek. Like, I watch Star Trek Discovery and I miss Star Trek. When I'm watching the Orville, I'm watching Star Trek. Not necessarily the best Star Trek, yeah. but I'm watching Star Trek. Yeah. So Star Trek Discovery, I think uh, you have described it as sort of like... Uh, a sci-fi epic that is wearing Star Trek clothes. Yeah, it's Battlestar Galactica in Star Trek cosplay. And Orville is... I don't know what it is. It's, yeah, it's, it's, Star Star Trek. Tre- it's Star Trek cosplay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but really good cosplay, like with a significant budget. Again, Hertz, Hertz put up next to Discovery... Still I don't impressive. Even think it does. I think it looks great. I think it looks like the most expensive possible Star Trek show that isn't Star Trek. It's like it's it's it yeah, looks for so a cable good. show. Yeah. Like basic cable. But even then it's got a really high budget. Every the sets look amazing, the costumes look good, but they look like not quite Star Trek outfits, not quite Star Trek sets. Right, which almost fits the theme of the show, which is not quite Star Trek scripts yeah. and not quite <laughs> Star Trek events. So let's let's get into it first. Yeah. Let's talk about the characters and our initial thoughts on them, starting with Seth MacFarlane himself, writer, director, producer, star of the show. He plays Ed Mercer, the captain of the, show, yeah. the ship. And he plays two characters because at some points... He is very successfully playing someone who loves Starfleet captains. Like, he says all the right things and all the inspirational captain speeches. And then other times, he's Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, other times, he's like Brian the dog from Family Guy. Yeah. Except he looks like a human. And it's weird because they can't keep it up with a lot of the characters. So it sort of seems like they exist in a world kind of like how Stewie works in Family Guy, where he'll say something and the family just sort of misinterprets what he says as a baby thing. It's like the people in the show misinterpret him being Seth MacFarlane. Yeah, like, like he'll say something funny that the audience well, is supposed to that yeah. the audience is supposed to find funny and the other characters just sort of politely ignore it to continue with the plot. Yeah, and, and but they're continuing a Star Trek plot. Yeah. They'll be talking you know something sci-fi and then they'll say, "Oh, well that guy sounds like a dick." Yeah. And everyone just kind of like, uh, uh, uh. "Anyway, so cross-circuit the tachyon reactor to <laughs> and it just it, and he's and it's very clearly the show hasn't figured out the balance of what that captain should be doing. Yeah. Because when he's... I mean, again, I don't know how much you want to jump into future episodes, looking at the characters here, but some of his inspirational captain stuff is great. Yeah. Some of his, like, his respecting the prime directive stuff or his, like, t- decisive action stuff is pure Starfleet captain. Again, what I'm missing in Discovery, that inspirational figure. But then he just has to go and ruin it. Now, one of the ways I find it sort of gets ruined is by this, uh, the, the fact that his first officer, we find out in the first episode, who's this first officer that's being pushed on him, is his ex-wife. And the show opens with her cheating on him, and it's six months later, and they've, they're divorced, uh, and they're not yeah. happy. But, but now they, they really have to work together, yeah. and that's the big gag. And that's the big gag, and I feel like it gets just forced in so many episodes, like... We get it. After the first episode, we get it. And yet they keep bringing it up and keep but, forcing it. And I'm not interested in that plot. But only the two of all. them bring it up. Right. Like everyone else just gets along with their lives. Because it's. Because the rest of the time, like when they're not doing that bit, yeah. it's off. They're a captain and first officer. And it, like, and it, it works just well that way. Yeah, and it's switched right off. Mm-hmm. It's just every once in a while, it's like someone flips the, oh yeah, remind them about the divorce thing plot. Yeah. And, and, then, and don't go anywhere with it. Yeah. We'll just keep bickering for no reason. <laughs> and it's just it, and it, it stops being funny very quickly. So, what do you think of first officer Kelly Grayson? Again, she I mean, she's not as bad as he is, but she's still playing two characters. She plays a first officer in Starfleet. She's got a little bit of Will Riker to her with a, you know, captain, you shouldn't be putting yourself in danger and watching out for the affairs of the crew and worrying about the ship. It's just that every once in a while then she starts bickering with Seth MacFarlane. Yeah. Who is not the captain character because she gets when she's the first officer right she gets along with the captain mm-hmm. like, and it's just there's no chemistry between the multiple personalities these people have i feel like the closest point they get to where the dynamic works is in an episode we'll get to where another character shows up who ends up being like a love interest for seth MacFarlane, and there's a conflict as to whether 
she distrusts this person because she's a romantic rival or because she's genuinely a problem for this ship. And right. I think that is where they struck the right balance. Yeah, they did hit that one really well. But then, you know, the occasional, like, bickering in the shuttlecraft scenes or whatever, yeah. or the slips of tongue while they're talking to other characters and they're just sort of nagging at each other. It was like, okay, we get that joke, we've done it, and you're not adding anything new no. to it. It's not that funny. And I'm genuinely interested in what's happening with the rest of this story because you have a cool science fiction thing going on. Yeah. So after that, we get uh, Doctor Claire Finn, and she is uh, she's she's the chief medical officer. She's probably familiar to you. She was uh, Cassidy Yates in Deep Space Nine, played by Ch- Penny Johnson Gerald. So far, she hasn't had a ton to do on the show, and I have to say, I find she's the worst actor. I she's certainly the most bland. Yeah, and stilted. Like, as, I just find her so stiff. And you'd think of any of them to be in a Star Trek cosplay extravaganza, the actual Star Trek actor would be the best fit. I mean, to be fl- to be Flair, which is, you know... Rick Flair. To be Rick Flair, which is really going to up the ratings of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't cut that out. To be fair, on Deep Space Nine, she didn't play a Starfleet character. She right. very much played a civilian. And let's be honest, mostly a love interest. Cassidy Yates, the character didn't have that much agency on her own. She was mostly there to be either a complication or a support for Benjamin Sisko. Right. Um, so give, putting her, I, very much casting her as Dr. Beverly Crusher yeah. in this show, she doesn't do as good at Dr. Le- Beverly Crusher as Gates McFadden did. I guess so. And that is exactly what she's doing. Like, yes. She is a very one-note character. She is the doctor on the ship, and she is the like the ethical, like how you respect life person in the most and recent that's her role yeah in the most recent episode she had a bit more to do there was a, a character that is an old friend of hers and they have to go find him on this planet but again nothing really happens like she's she's a little worried about him and then they find him and then she's not worried mm. and it's like there was he's still in jeopardy there's still bad things happen to him but you never feel like it's had any impact on her and uh, so I'm, I'm disappointed with her i, I wanted more from that character, and it's a problem with the writing of her, but also a problem with the performance. I mean, I would be willing to cut her some slack for the performance, just because she has such a two-dimensional role right now. I guess so. Um, she also flirts with Norm MacDonald's uh, goo pile. Well, sort of. Isn't sort it? of. One-sided. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, she provides a straight man for Norm MacDonald comedy. Yeah. Which, again, is an issue, but... All right, so let's move on to the next character, uh, Gordon Malloy. He's the uh, helmsman and daredevil pilot who's also a jerk and an idiot. Yeah, he is the one who's actually funny most of the time. The closest to being The closest to being funny and the one who least fits in on the show. Yeah. Because his character is like the man-child. Right. Like who, in the world they've built, there's no reason to believe he would ever be able to, like, there's no reason to believe he would ever exist. Because in that perfect future, why would somebody be that unbalanced and immature? But certainly no reason that he would succeed in an organization, like whatever their Starfleet, the Union, I think? Yeah. The Union. And they, they sort of have a, a, a in-story context for that where he's like... Oh, he's I'm, the best pilot in the fleet. Yeah, but he's also, you know, he was too damaged. Like, they weren't going to let him in, and, and Seth MacFarlane's character is like, oh, I gotta have him. We're old buddies, and he's the best pilot. But I don't buy it. I, no, he's still, even by those standards, he's like, he, they're going for a Tom Paris vibe, but he's so juvenile. Yeah, it, juvenile. That's what it is. He's yeah. too juvenile to fit in with the rest of this crew that's pretty straight-laced. The character stands out like a sore thumb. From my three that I said that don't really fit, that's them. The captain, the XO... And stupid navigator Gordon, Gordon, yeah, whatever. Gordon Malloy, Gordon Malloy. He's uh, yeah, he. It's I, I the first like, like the first episode. There's that oh, you're you're piloting the shuttle and drinking a beer. Like oh, it's funny because he's an alcoholic. I yeah, guess. that's. Uh, uh, yeah. So then after that we've got Bordis, who is the opposite. The opposite. He's a Star Trek character. He and he has lines that are funny in like a Star Trek way, where it's like they they. Could have been jokes Worf made. Like, yeah. Worf and, and Data and in Discovery at Saru, there's always that character like who's the alien who doesn't quite get, like, I do not understand your human custom. Yeah. He's playing that character. And, and yeah, mostly Worf from The Voice. Yeah. 
He's a big, tough and alien guy. And the forehead. He's great. He, <laughs> he is great. I'll, and like he's, he's the most interesting character so far. The most interesting. He's doing the most interesting stuff. There's more depth to him than the other characters. And yeah, he's he can still be funny, but it's in a way that fits in this context of a Star Trek universe. Like it doesn't have to be like a dick joke or a '90s TV reference. Yeah. Uh, although there are, there, well, there's a '60s TV reference that we'll get to there's in a later episode. Plenty, all of which are equally inappropriate. So then there's uh, uh, Alara Katan, who's the chief of security. Her whole shtick is she looks like you know a petite twenty-something girl with some alien makeup, but she's also very strong. Yeah. Which, again, kind of a weaker character in terms yeah. of who she is. But, like, the second episode, they give her her thing where it's like like she has to take command, but she's too young and inexperienced. And then she learns some life lessons along the way. Very Star Trek-y kind oh. of episode. Again, she's, like, it can be funny because of, the, like, the way it's played off. Like, she looks like a little girl, but she's so strong. But that kind of funny fits in. And there's this whole recurring gag where, where Seth MacFarlane's character says, can you... Uh, can you open a jar, this jar, jar of pickles, pickles for me? me. Which and Is that a gag? I, I just I, thought I, it's something annoying that he says over and over, and I don't know well, why. I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was annoying the first time, but I guess in the way of like a Saturday Night Live character's catchphrase that you, it grows on you just because they keep saying it every episode... He, it's kind of grown on me. I like that it's a shtick that he has with her. Eh, right. I thought it was stupid the first time I've heard it, but it's grown on me. Going back to Bordas for a second, what is his job on the ship? Isn't he the security guy? No, she's the security guy. Oh, you're right. So I that was something I realized while I was looking into it. I don't know what his job on the ship is other than to be an alien. I know, like, he he gives them all name and rank during the Meet the Crew thing right. in the first episode. It's out there. We've just he's, missed he's it. He's second officer. He's like... he's Second takes... officer. Oh, okay. So, he, like, yeah, he's Data. Except Data also had a job. <laughs> well, he was operations, sure. Yeah. But, like, that that was always, you know, as soon as Captain Picard would disappear on a hilarious mercenary adventure or whatever. Yeah. And then Riker had to be the captain, and Data was his XO. Yeah. Anyway, so then after that, we've got the, uh, a character who is almost as vaguely defined as the chief medical officer. We've got John Lamar. He's the navigator. He sits beside Gordon. I don't really know what he does, and he has very little personality. Yeah, they say that Gordon is a pilot and he's the navigator, which even watching it, I was like, how does that work? Yeah, and he's like he's like Gordon Light. Yeah, they, and, they, and they're like a hilarious comedy duo. Except they're not. Except they're not. And he only shows up on the bridge to say something less funny than Gordon Malloy, and that he's not in the rest of the show. Yeah. So I don't consider him... Like, I would be surprised to see marketing for the... I haven't seen any marketing for it, but I would be surprised to see him standing with the rest of the crew. Well, he was the the sort of focal point of the most recent episode. He is, Oh, okay. So I got to catch up to episode yeah, seven. But even then, pretty bland, and just he could have swapped Gordon in for that storyline, and it would have been exactly the same. Yeah, so no point to having him. Uh, and then we've got Isaac, the data character, the android, who's from a superior artificial intelligent race who's just there because uh, he is the only one of that species who agreed to be on, on the ship and he's there to observe what humanity is like. Which is, again, doing that thing where, like, I don't understand your human culture and I also like it. Yeah. I think that's fun, too. Mm -hmm. They do the whole thing where they, they teach him about what practical jokes are. Yeah, and they and they put the potato head thing on his face, which is irritating because it's a reference that doesn't make sense in context. Yeah, but then he, his retaliatory practical joke is he cuts off the guy's leg. Yeah, <laughs> which was really funny. Yeah, and especially when they find in the I oh think yeah it was a subsequent it, it, episode in the I, th I think it's the same episode, but it's much later, and it's in it's like at the the top of the act three like dramatic tension. Right, and then the ceiling collapses and the leg falls down. <laughs> So as it's been going on, the show has found its footing a bit more. The plots have gotten a bit better, and it's actually gotten funnier. Other things have gotten funnier. Seth MacFarlane has not gotten funnier. No, but I think that's kind of I think good. That, I think it's what he wants for yeah. some reason, but I just... I just wish he would just stop playing Seth MacFarlane and stop playing the captain. Right. I mean, we, were, we wanted to get into some of the episodes, too. I mean, a great example of this is the first episode is such a love letter to Star Trek. Right. Where, I mean, it's hard to be mad at the guy because Seth MacFarlane is obviously loving this. When the, he gets the ship and like they're all ready to depart from space dock and he sits in the chair and take us out. And it's not played for laughs. It's a straight, like, starship porn moment. <laughs> and like, 
he's in love with the ship and the universe, and we're supposed to be in love with the ship. It's such a classic Trek thing Mm -hmm. that I would think it was a Star Trek show. But then that episode, I mean, again, because it's the first episode, really harps so much on the whole ex-wife thing. Yeah. Just kind of shut up. Go back to the Star Trek. And even the Star Trek plot of it is is pretty weak, and I can understand why they'd want to lean on the divorce stuff just to fill in the episode, because it's like a time accelerator device, and they have to, they don't want to, they think it's a dangerous thing, but then they have to use it to make a tree explode in the enemy ship, and it just was, there's not enough there. But I feel like there's not enough there because they also mm. had to spend all this time. I mean, to be fair, they need to introduce all the characters yeah. and stuff. We're just meeting everybody. Yeah, the, I, the pilot I found kind of weak. I wasn't. Uh, it, it introduces everyone, but it's not that funny and it's not that good a Star Trek episode. Agreed. And so I wasn't that excited when the show actually started, but I gave it a shot. And by episode three, it's starting to get. Some interesting stuff happening. Yeah, that was the social commentary episode yeah. with, the, with the sex change. So, right? so Bordis comes from an all-male species, and he has a husband, which I thought was interesting and progressive, if only because they don't really make a big deal out of it at all, the fact that he's got a husband. like well, that's it's an all-male just, species. An all he doesn't have species. a lot of options. It's very well handled. And then they have a daughter, and it becomes this whole gender reassignment surgery episode, and it, it makes some really interesting points, and it could have been really smart and said something interesting, but then it just gets silly where there's this woman who's been hiding out and, and on the planet, and she's written this theological thing that everyone loves and didn't realize it was written by a woman, so that changes everything. Yeah. And, it just... and again, Seth MacFarlane has to be Seth MacFarlane in the middle of the climax. Yeah. They're having, like, the... I mean, every good Star Trek, which is most of them, have a great, you know, trial yeah, and this is a trial where they're trying to determine what like, what to do with this baby. It's a very dramatic moment, and Seth MacFarlane has to do that. Oh, you know what? You've been a real dick the whole time. So why don't you just shut up? Like, <laughs> yeah, like who are you? Yeah, like, just and and I felt like it wasn't saying anything new. It, everything they said in that episode was so surface level. It was like, oh, well, here's our, our security chief, and she's a woman, and she's really strong, so you guys are wrong to think yeah, women are was, weak. And it, it was, was like, very on the nose. Uh, yeah. Um, even for Star Trek, which is saying something. <laughs> uh, but I felt everything up until the trial was really interesting, and, and it, there was a good debate and back yeah. and forth between the characters. Yeah, and it's a very sci-fi Star Trek thing where you use science fiction as an excuse to examine an issue of the day. Yeah. In this case, they're using the science fiction conceit of an all-male race to explore issues of gender reassignment. and like that's, that, like that is a traditional Star Trek formula. Yeah. Put up next in competition to good Star Trek episodes that do that. This wasn't a great one, but that is that Star Trek formula, and that's what I want to see when I watch Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I want to see that kind of examination of ideas. So I really admire them trying to do something like that. Yeah. Even if it didn't turn out to be the best episode. The episode after that, I think it was the one that came after that, where they find the ship that with the people on it who don't realize they're on a spaceship, and it's this idyllic sort of country. Oh, right. It's like a biosphere, and yeah. they're living in like the, like the 1980s or something. Uh, or, like, yeah, something like that. And yeah. it, I thought that was also an episode that had some really neat ideas, and, and it, it, nothing groundbreaking, but it was like... A good episode of of a Star Trek show, not a great episode, but a good standard episode, and and you they an amazing cameo of Liam Neeson. Yeah, I was end. like, how how and why? I don't know. But I, for some reason, they got Liam Neeson in to do a bit part. Yeah, and he sells the 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 dead captain of that ship so well. Oh, of course he does. <laughs> it makes the rest of it better just for having him in it. Yeah, but again, it's like. It, it, very basic sort of sci-fi tropes, whereas the best Star Trek took some of those tropes and elevated them, or invented them. But look at what Star Trek is doing now by comparison. Like, what was the last science fiction idea that Discovery really explored? Or the J.J. Like, Abrams. Or the J.J. Abrams ones, I mean, which have, like, they've just thrown that out the window. Yeah. They're not examining any issues. They're just having these, you know, wacky characters bounce off each other and then shoot aliens. Yeah. So, I, I mean... So, I, Orville creates in me that, like, that's what I'm looking for and I'm looking for Star Trek. It, it's filling that need. It's just not doing it the best right now. Whereas Discovery is a great television show, but it's not what I want to watch. Mm. 
Yeah. Um, like, and I mean, it could go either way. The, the sixth episode, the episode, like, like, this was a serious, like, meet the villains episode. Right. The Krill. Yeah. Which, don't call them the Krill, but fine. Um, like, they, like, this episode, not much happens in this episode, except giving us a good chance to see who, what these villains are about and how it's going to affect their relationship with the good guys in the future. So it seems like they're setting the ground to have more of that kind of Star Trek Discovery level action. But it was still done in a let's do something interesting. Like, let's examine this interesting alien culture. Yeah. I didn't think it turned out to be that interesting. No. It's weird. In six episodes, they've come out, like, guns firing on religion a couple of times. Which is very Star Trek. Which is very Star Trek, but, like, that close together. And again, with the surface level on the nose that Orville's doing it with, it seems like a little... I just swing a real heavy hammer there. Yeah, and I felt the last uh, that episode they were talking about the the message got a there were like a couple different messages going on there where it's like he they're trying to steal the their the krill bible so they can learn more about that species but they also find a friend in the little kid and they're trying to protect the kid and the teacher while also fulfilling yeah. their mission. It just got a little muddy. Uh but it was it was still an a good episode. It was just I, like everything I about this is good, but not great. And in in an era of amazing TV shows and so many things getting our attention, I don't know if good is good enough anymore. Yeah, I feel like it's. I, I feel like it's not going to get a second season, which is a shame. I think it's all but being confirmed that there's going to be a second season. All right. Well, then fingers crossed. They throw a little more money at it and maybe change up the writing style a bit. I mean, because we're not the only ones who think this, right? right? A lot of critical reviews have been, this show needs to decide what it is. Yeah, it, I find it's at its best when the comedy takes a backseat. When the yeah. comedy goes away and they're not trying to make jokey jokes all the time. Like, the, it, I, as much as I thought it was funny when when uh, Seth MacFarlane and Gordon, when Ed and Gordon are undercover on the Krill ship and they're in disguise as the Krill and they all have weird Krill alien names and they say their names are Chris and Chris Devin. And Devin. I thought it was funny, and I kept laughing, but it was dumb. It's like there's no reason for these aliens to buy that, yeah. right? Yeah, like, again, the world has to bend itself around Seth MacFarlane being yeah. Seth MacFarlane. It's like, little. you know, every once in a while, the, the they bend the spoon, like in the Matrix, and, and no one notices it, and it's just like a little thing there for you to chuckle at, yeah. and then it goes back to being a Star Trek show. In the, like... People on the the ship episode they capture his ex they capture the XO his ex wife he's interrogating her tell me where your friends are and she makes a joke about friends the television show right. and I was like I don't think anybody like in this future that they've set up would be making a friends joke and I don't know that anybody in 2017 <laughs> would be making a friends joke right it's like, like why would why would she have said that maybe there will be an episode in the future where they address why everyone talks as if pop culture hasn't advanced since the year 2000. Yeah. And we do see them constantly involved with pop culture. Yeah. But I, I mean, I don't... I, I really don't like when sci-fi shows in the future make references to 20th century things for no good reason. Like, there's no reason why that would still be popular 400 years in the future. But at this point with this show, they make it the references so often then sort of stopped bothering me because it's like if it's going to bother me, it's going to bother me every second of every episode because that's all they do. No, you're a more laid back man than me. Every time they do it, it drives me crazy because it's so out of place. Right. Like, the, like they've, they've gone to a lot of indications of how all these different cultures and speak. Like clearly they have their own music and their own – like – you know, Klingon opera, whatever yeah. the equivalent. Clearly that exists. They've gone to the effort of doing just enough world building to say these are, like, we've set up this future world. But the people in it, and only some of the people, only Seth MacFarlane and the ex what's the actress's name? I feel really uh, Adrian Pilecki. Only Seth MacFarlane and Adrian Pilecki and stupid beer-drinking teenage navigator <laughs> are from, like, next door right now and are pretending to be good people on this show. And then, you know, his navigator guy also, like, they introduced Bordas to Rudolph. Right, which, yeah. I mean, like, was a funny joke. Yeah, and I love Rudolph. And Bordas's reaction to it is funny, because yeah. he doesn't know how to interpret it, like, as a children's show, and right. that's a funny joke. But the fact that they would have gone to that, to the claymation Rudolph doesn't make any sense. Yeah, like, people, a lot of people today don't really like or, or watch that thing. 
Yeah, why would they why know? Why would they keep it? knowing? It? And that is the divide. Like that like they can't match these two things. They're two very different shows. Mm-hmm. And it has to pick one. And I hope, honestly, I hope it picks to go straight Star Trek. Yeah. Because I mean, listen, lots of Star Treks have lousy first seasons. This has the potential to be a really... And again, I guess we have to point out it's not actually a Star Trek show. But it has the potential to be a really good Star Trek show if they do that. I don't know if it has the potential to be a really good comedy. No, I don't think so. I mean, Seth MacFarlane and Norm MacDonald are very funny guys for the most part, but it's just not... The jokes aren't landing in this. Yeah, it's so not the right audience. Like, the people around them aren't... The, like, it doesn't fit the situation. No. Uh, so before we go any further, while we're, I think we're going to wrap up soon, but I just wanted to ask you, you're, you're a fan of ships and ship design. What are your thoughts on the, the Orville? Oh, I like it. It like, it's a little weird looking. It's a little weird looking, but it's in a way that clearly says that this is a Star Trek Federation starship, but royalty free. Yeah. Um, I like that they have like the weird engine set up to be the equivalent of the nacelles in Star Trek. Like, you couldn't have nacelles. It'd be way too on the nose. So instead, they have that weird cat's cradle-looking thing. Like, at one point, they even talk about, like, instead of saying the port nacelle was damaged, they say, like, the top and central engine have been damaged. It's like, okay, that's, that's, that's a fun equivalent. And I even like that there's some consistency in that design. Like, the bad guys, the krill ships, also have that weird sort of looping design. Right. Which implies this, like, common technology kind of thing. Like in Star Trek, the Klingon ships tend to also have nacelles. Yeah, most ships have nacelles or nacelle equivalents because in Star Trek, that's how warp drive works. You you create the stable warp field or the bubble around your ship, but it's dangerous, so you put it a little bit away from the ship. That's what the nacelles are for. And like that's how this technology has worked, and that's what everyone's figured out. That kind of thought went into this, and that's really impressive. And Seth MacFarlane is such a fan of classic Trek that he actually there's they built a physical model of the Orville, and they shoot around it for a lot of the Orville shots. These days, that's an expense that a lot of shows don't go to. Anyway, anyway, I, I know I really like it, and I really like 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 that what that represents, like the thought that it went into it. Yeah, I like a lot of the technology design on that show. The other interesting thing about it that adds to the trekkiness of it is that uh, so far some of the directors have been Robert Duncan McNeil, who played Tom Paris, Jonathan mm-hmm. Frakes, who played Commander Riker, and Brandon Braga, who was one of the <laughs> yeah. brains behind Star Trek from through Next Generation through to Enterprise. So they have got their Star Trek cred. Yeah, a lot of that is in there. It has the potential to be really cool Star Trek. We just have to see what he decides to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, some last notes before we go. I will admit I laughed. I, I fell out of my chair laughing when she goes to the replicator and asks for a cannabis edible. Like, I, <laughs> I didn't like that. <laughs> I, I think it's stupid and I don't think it fits into that world at all, but I will admit I laughed. Um, same thing with the, the holodeck where he'd reprogrammed. Like They're, in, they're doing a, a western, but instead of a shootout, the villain wants to have a dance contest. Right. Again, I think it's stupid and Star Trek characters wouldn't have done it, but I laughed. It was a funny gag. I will, so I want to confess to those, <laughs> like like you're my Catholic father. <laughs> I guess me. I, again, I, so there are some funny jokes in there. I'm not being, I'm not poo pooing the whole thing, but also just like I love, like, like I want to see more about how the engine works, and I want to know more about like the size of this union and the different species in it. Like, there's a, they've laid a lot of world building groundwork in this that I'm really excited for, and by comparison. I keep reminding myself that I haven't seen the latest episode of Discovery. Hmm. And I keep forgetting because it's not that important to me. Orville, you told me just before we started recording that there's a seventh episode. I'm already, like, reorganizing my weekend. See, when am I going to be able to find a time to catch that? Okay. Because I'm excited to see more about this in a way I'm not about Discovery, which must cost ten times more and is an official Star Trek product. So that's saying a lot. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure uh, as we the shows progress, we'll come back to them and talk both about Discovery and uh, Orville. Uh, I'm hoping it uh, pulls the next generation, and, and as the show goes on... Yeah, somebody grows a beard, and it gets really good. <laughs> yeah, they move someone to engineering, because the chief engineer they have right now is really annoying. And clearly a B character. Like, yeah. It's, it's like in Next Generation, the, the, the engineer wasn't a character. Yeah, for a they season. had like... 14 different chief engineers that they just kept cycling through. But 
they also have way too many bridge people on the Orville since we don't know what half of them do. Yeah. It makes sense to move one of them to the engine room. But we'll see. Anyway, that was a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, a noticeable one. If we're saying that we're hoping the show figures out its characters and figures out its tone and becomes really good TV. All right. Well, yeah, I think well, that's it for this week. Yeah, I'm going to go watch episode seven. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, special thanks to, to Seth MacFarlane for making the Orville. Um, get your stuff together, but we really <laughs> like it. In all seriousness, special thanks to Stella Simeonova, our webmaster, for putting this all together. Special thanks to Jamie Reum for our cool new theme song. Be sure to check him out at Jamie Reum Official on YouTube. That's R-E-A-U-M-E. And, of course, special thanks to you, the listener. Um, We'd love to hear what you have to say. We'd love to hear what you think about the Orville and still about Discovery. I know we're still hearing a bit about that. All kinds of cool ways you can get a hold of us. You can email us at geektop5 at gmail.com. We can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash geektop5. We're on Twitter at geektop5. And uh, you can always leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be great if uh, if you were so inclined. Other ways you can help us, uh, Geek Top 5 is still homeless. Uh, we don't have a studio to record in at the moment. So if you live in the greater Toronto area and know of a way that you might be able to help us out, uh, not only would we be super grateful, uh, but there might be a little bit of rewards in it for you, too. And at the very least, I will definitely mention your special thanks in the show. <laughs> uh, regardless, we're going to keep coming at you. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks. Geek Top 5.